today we're going to continue in James chapter one. Um, if you've been um, in attendance in the previous times that I've preached, we've been hanging out in James chapter one uh, for those different times. So previously uh, we began this section that talks about hearing and doing. Um, just a review for you about the person of James, just to contextualize where he's coming from. James was the bishop of the Jerusalem church during the time that he's writing this letter. He was the half-brother of Jesus, and he first didn't believe in Jesus. However, after the resurrection, Christ appeared to him and James became a believer. He's heavily influenced by the Old Testament as well as the teachings of Jesus. Particularly, the Sermon on the Mount gets revisited several times during the book of James. As you can tell, he, he leans on Jesus' teachings. Just to kind of qualify what I said about Jesus appearing to James, I wanted to share with you this morning, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8. Paul says, for I handed down to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then, verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. So just a qualification of James' conversion. James was visited by the resurrected Christ um, and was converted. Um, other places in the New Testament, you'll find that his brothers didn't believe in him. And in fact, weren't even wouldn't even stick around at the crucifixion. Only his mother and John uh, stuck around uh, when that was happening. So. We see a big contrast in the life of James. Um, and so far in James, kind of a review of where we've been in the chapter, which is important because these things all build on one another, all of these concepts. So, so far we've been exhorted to count it all joy. So, so far in James, we've received several exhortations from him. To count it all joy when facing trials. Um, remember, our joy isn't this happy-go-lucky type of joy, but a completeness in Christ. So joyful and so happy to be in him that we aren't tempted to look for other things to complete us. So this joy is a completeness. Other lessons that we've learned are to pray when we lack wisdom. Uh, we saw 
in the um, in the Bible study where Solomon asked this of God and he was granted it. Um, so pray when we lack wisdom uh, and we need to have a right view of poverty or wealth in both of those situations. The Lord may have us in either one of them or cycling through both of them at some point in our lives. And we needed to have a correct view of those situations. And lastly, the last time that I spoke was sort of part one of this, where we said we need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, because anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. So specifically on that last point, okay, y'all be quick to hear today, all right? Be quick to hear today as we go through here. And um, the main point of the whole sermon today is for us to be hearers and doers. There's no separation for us that are in Christ. We both hear and do. So as background, Starting with James 1, 19 through 21, I invite you to, to turn there with me if you're not already there. You know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Now everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For a man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. And then the text for today. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not just hearers who deceive themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who has looked intently at the perfect law, the law of freedom, and has continued in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an active doer, this person will be blessed in what he does. So James builds upon what he has first told us to be quick to hear. The opposite of some of our natural inclinations, be quick to hear. And he says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not just hearers who deceive themselves. So be quick to hear. But what do you do with that? What do you do with what you hear? What do you do with what you read? What do you do with what God has you experienced? So we should listen quick and listen closely in order to obey God's word. We know that James is heavily influenced by the teachings of Jesus. And as I said, the sermon in the on the mount and the Lord himself gave us a similar command. If you turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, 
verses 24 through 27. Remember, Matthew 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount, in which so many quotables <laughs> of Jesus happen, right? Um, and Matthew 7, 24 through 27, the Lord says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell. The collapse was great. We growing up in Bible school, we even had a song about this. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Do you remember that? Um, so Christ has a different analogy for a command that is the same as James, the instruction that is the same as James. We must be hearers and doers of the word. Um, again, the Lord says this again in Luke in a different context. There was this demon that was causing a man to be mute. And the demon was cast out and a crowd gathered because of that circumstance. And Jesus addressed the crowd. And a lady says, um, blessed are you and blessed is the womb that bore you, paraphrase. And Jesus says, but he said, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and follow it. So the Lord twice had the same instruction in the Gospels. Paul also echoes this teaching of Christ in Romans chapter two. If you're familiar with the structure of Romans, there's a lot of lot of explaining that he does <laughs> about the law. And in Romans chapter two, that's no different. He's, he's expounding on how the law applies to both Jews and Gentiles, what is the moral law? What is that that whole uh, that whole treatise that he goes into? So in this, he says in verse twelve, "For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law." Who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. So these are inseparable concepts for us. We can't just sit here on Sunday and hear our teachers and our preachers talk and then go into our weeks and do nothing about what we've heard. We can't just read our morning devotional and check that box and get up and walk into school or work or uh, wherever we go and forget about what we've read. 
or what God has shown us uh, in the time that we have listened to him. Jesus, James, and Paul are all exhorting us to not only actively hear or listen, but to do what we hear. Active listening is something that would be a good practice for us to remember as we sit here and listen to sermons. Active listening might look differently for different people. For me, one thing that helps me, if it helps you, wonderful. One thing that helps me to actively listen is to write down, write things that I hear. The Sunday school teacher say, the preacher to say, that's how I actively listen. Maybe it comes from my uh, upbringing and how I took notes. Uh, we didn't have these, you know, fancy uh, things that we have now um, where we didn't even have projection screens during my college experience. Everything was, you had to write it down in your notebook, in your spiral notebook, right? And then you got it home and you did your homework or you studied that. That is exactly how, uh, how I actively listen. Um, in Sunday school, we could probably add to that participating, right? What is it that the Sunday school teacher is saying? How can I process that? And how can I either ask questions or make comments that would be to the good of me and everyone else? So just as a matter of practice, let's actively listen. Then let's actively do what we listen to. Because if we don't do it, what does James say in the first verse 22? We would deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves if we think any different. We can't, we can't just hear the word of God. We could memorize the entirety of scripture just like it was one big epic poem. But if we don't do anything that's in it, then it's all for nothing. Um, the New Testament is full of warnings against both a general deception and self-deception. Just some examples. Warnings against deception. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Okay. 1 Corinthians 15.33. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Galatians 6.7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, this he will also reap. Ephesians 5, 6, see that no one deceives you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Colossians 2, 4. I say this so that no one will deceive you. See a pattern forming with persuasive arguments. 1 John 3, 7. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. So all of the writers in the New Testament, they have 
all kinds of warnings and specifically against empty talking or those that would try to persuade us against what scripture says, uh, any kind of false doctrines. In Titus, there's a warning against deception that's a bit longer here. For there are many rebellious people, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, reprimand them uh, severely so that they may be sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their they deny him. How they denied him by their deeds, right? Being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. So we've got a clear message in the New Testament. Do not be deceived by others. We're deceived by their own unrighteousness, their own terrible character, their empty words or their persuasive arguments. So who who is it that deceives us in those cases? Well, it could be others. This bad company that one of those verses talked about. But who is perhaps the most insidious deceiver of us? Right? And I've got one finger pointed at you. I've got I've got uh, however many three pointed back at me. Right? Is that how it goes? So the most insidious, the most treacherous deceiver is ourselves. One that we have a very difficult time with. We can convince ourselves and justify our actions so quickly. We're such self-preserving monsters sometimes. So there are specific warnings about self-deception that I wanted to share with you as well. Self-deception in particular is what James is talking about in verse 22 to be not just hearers who deceive themselves. In James 1.26, he's going to continue to say, if anyone thinks himself to be religious, yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this person's religion is worthless. Notice there's no external party here. There's no external party here. This is someone who deceives his own heart. 1 Corinthians 3.18 is similar. Take care that no one deceives himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish that he may become wise. Uh, one of my dad-isms that my dad has said before to me is, and I'll try to say it like him, you're never smart till you find out how dumb you are. Okay. Same thing. Um, if we think that we're wise and we get puffed up, that's the road to self-deception. 
Galatians 6, 2 through 4, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks that he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work and then he will have reason for boasting, but to himself alone and not to another. So when we when we have this puffing up, when we have this, we think we're really wise and we think we're really religious. Who do you think that James was wanting that to land square on, right? The religious community of the time. You think that you, you think you can wear your phylacteries and you think that you are Moses's great, 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 times a thousand grandson. But you're puffing yourself up. So we deceive ourselves by thinking that we can simply hear and not do. We deceive ourselves by having unbridled tongues. If we think we can be Christians and just go and talk in any manner whatsoever and look exactly like the world, we deceive ourselves. If we think we're wise or if we think we're something, think we're really something. When we're nothing, those are the ways that we deceive ourselves. And it really comes down to one very concise word, as so much of sin does, pride. Our pride is the downfall of so, so many of us um, because we, we think that we're, uh, we think we're bulletproof because of all of, these, all of this self-deception. So you are deceiving yourself if you think that you can hear the word of God and not do it. Let's continue to verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. So James adds an analogy here to hearing and not doing. Remember, Christ's analogy was the foundation, right? The wise man who is a hearer and a doer builds his house on the rock, the firm foundation. The foolish man who builds his house on the sand is one that thinks that he can hear and not do. James adds to this analogy now and says that hearing and not doing is like looking in, in the mirror to the face your mama gave you. Okay, that's what this language means here. It's literally, when it says natural face, um, it is the face of your birth. It's kind of the, the uh, or original language there. So the face that you were born with and immediately forgetting what kind of person you are. When we look in the mirror, what are we doing when we look at it in the morning? Seeing how we look, seeing if anything is out of place. Maybe maybe some of us dwell a little bit longer on it than others. Um, maybe some of us are uncomfortable even looking in the mirror. I basically look in the mirror just to make sure that I remembered to comb my hair 
and you know that nothing is uh, nothing is going to be offensive <laughs> to anyone as I walk around. But some of us spend a long time looking intently at that image. You no, know, are my eyebrows okay? Is my makeup just right? Right. So some of us might spend a little bit more time looking in the mirror than others. But the language here is, is saying this mirror is the one of self-examination. We're, we're looking at the mirror to see if there's anything that we need to fix real quick. For me, it's real quick, right? Maybe y'all think that I should be spending a little bit more time um, in that particular. But the danger here is to forget what that self-examination results in. So if we read the word, we have our devotion, or if we hear a preacher and we see something that the Lord has is convicting us about, don't forget that when you walk away from your morning devotion. Don't forget that when you walk away from the sermon. Because what do we do instead of being convicted and walking differently? It's the danger of self-justification. So I look in the mirror. I'm really fat. You know, that's the truth. I'm overweight. Okay, what am I going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? I'm going to start working out. Am I going to count my calories? I'm going to do something different. I'm going to apply that. The other way to do that would be like, you know what, Mark, you just, you look so great. You've got to accept yourself and be positive about yourself. There's nothing that you need to change, right? Same thing here. And I'm using a silly example, but it's the truth. When the, the Lord convicts us of something via scripture, Take notice. Don't bury it back under the rug. God is dealing with you. By his spirit, he's showing you a piece of his word that says do something. Believe differently. Change your mind. Um, not, uh, I don't need to pay attention to that. That doesn't apply to me. Psalm 139 gives us this pattern of self-examination, um, asking God even to examine. He's a much better examiner. Search me, God, and know my heart. Put me to the test and know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Instead of giving ourselves our little daily affirmation during our mirror time, this would be a great psalm for us to think about and meditate on. Uh, search me, God, and know my heart. Put me to the test and know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. You know, when we when we look at ourselves um, we do need to we do need to have a balanced view, right? 
we don't need to we don't need to be completely negative about ourselves perhaps the lord would use that as a hey i gave you i gave you life today i gave you a mirror to look in today uh and remember who you are in christ your blood bought and now walk according to that redemption verse 25 but one who has looked intently at the perfect law, the law of freedom, and has continued in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an active doer, this person will be blessed in what he does. But one who has looked intently, the language here is literally bending down to examine something. To look at it really closely. This same kind of language was when Mary looked into the tomb. To not be able to find where Jesus was. He wasn't anywhere to be found. That same kind of language is here. When, when we look intently. Um, we examine God's word and ask for him to expose any impurity, sin, or lack of alignment to him. Examination of the word is not just a superficial reading. It's, it's meditating on what the word says. It's thinking about how does this fit in to the rest of God's story? How does this fit into the rest of the redemption and the lifestyle that he asks that he commands us to to lead? This calls the, the law perfect. In what way is the law perfect? Another way to, to say that is what way is it complete, right? The law of God is not incomplete in any way. It is complete and perfect. Psalm 19.7 says the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So it sounds like the remedy, right? The remedy to all of this self-deception or deception by others is the law of God. Do we know it? If we need to follow it, we ought to know it. We have to know it first, right? Logically. So his perfect and complete law is our remedy to avoid self-deception. This calls it the law of freedom. That might sound that might sound a little bit counter counter to the way that we think about the law. If I think about the laws that we abide by, um, even from a secular perspective, I don't like going the speed limit. Right. Sometimes it's inconvenient. I could get there faster if I could go about 10 miles an hour more on a long trip. But the law is there to set those boundaries, right? God's law, even more importantly, how does it make us free? How does the law make us free? That's, that sounds very uh, oxymoronic, I guess. Um, most of us tend to think of the law as binding or constraining. However, the law marks our boundaries. 
The law is good because the Lord has told us where our boundaries lie. But guess what? Inside of those boundaries, we're free to worship him and to follow him. It's, it's kind of like us taking our kids outside and saying, now, kids, that fence, you can play in all the fenced in area, but don't you go over the fence because there's some bad things that could happen if you go over the fence. Same, same way with the law, right? The Lord has set our boundaries. We stay in, inside of those boundaries. We enjoy a life of freedom in him. Because he set those boundaries to protect us. I loved what uh, J. Alec Motyer said. Uh, this is one of the commentaries that I'm using to prepare lessons in James. Um, he says that even his sharpest and most demanding laws are not a stern imposition by an external authority, but a paternal directive arising from love so we we give our kids directives right to protect them you know don't eat so much candy it's going to turn into a hard time at the dentist right don't be hanging out with those people they're not of good character you don't need to be with them these things that we tell our children even younger and older those are setting the boundaries for their protection. The law of God is a law of liberty because it safeguards, expresses, and enables the life of true freedom into which Christ has brought us. This is the blessing of which James speaks, the blessing of a full life, a true humanity. Obedience is the key factor in our enjoyment of it. What is the song that we sing? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Take home theology, folks. You can take that song to the bank, okay? It is true. We've got to trust and obey the Lord. Lastly, on this verse, James 1.25, it says, this person will be blessed in what he does. We examine ourselves, we forsake, and we mortify sin within us, and we actively live out our faith. And that's the entire point of James. The book of James is all about faith as a lifestyle. Faith isn't something, faith isn't a plaque. We put up in our house just to kind of admire and look at. Faith is an active lifestyle that we live out in the choices that we make, in the things that we associate ourselves with, in the sharing with others, everything the Lord has given to us, in all of those aspects, those things that we aren't a part of, that the world notices. We're not going to be a part of drinking and being drunk. We're not going to be part of that. Not going to be a part of fornication and uh, living together before we're married and all of those boundaries. That's a lifestyle choice. 
that we make. And James exhorts us throughout his entire book to have that lifestyle. It's not just this puffed up religiosity, if it, if it would be looked at that way. It is the active belief that is shown in how we treat others, how we treat each other, how we treat ourselves, the right view of his word. All of those things are an outpouring of this lifestyle that James is giving to us. Our joy is truly complete and not lacking anything as we draw closer to him, as we're aligned with him. So getting getting close to um, the summary here, uh, there is a progression here that James has made throughout this hearing and doing section that started with 19 and goes to 25. The progression was first, if you remember, receive the word implanted. We all of this doesn't mean anything if we haven't received the word. That's where it starts. The seed of the word. So we receive the word implanted. Implanted is such a beautiful picture for us. A tree that is growing, a seed that is growing within us has been implanted. Verse 22, he says to do the word, okay, to do this word, not just hear it, not just receive it, but do it. And in the same way, do the law in verse 25. Um, and as I was pointing out, true religion is a lifestyle. It's not, it's not just something that um, is not effective to our daily life. I wanted us to go together to Proverbs 4. I think there's a, a beautiful chapter here. If you go with me, Proverbs 4. Contextually, this is a father's instruction to his son. Remember what I shared with you in the commentary that this is a paternal directive. You can picture James has this lofty position as the bishop of Jerusalem, but what he says is very shepherding and pastoral when he talks. He, he instructs them in the right way to live. Proverbs 4, 20 through 27. My son, pay attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. They are not to escape from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their body. Watch over your heart with diligence. For from it flow the springs of life. Rid yourself of a deceitful mouth and keep devious speech far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right or the left. Turn your foot from evil. So if we needed some word to obey this morning, there you go. Proverbs 4, 20 through 27. Don't deceive yourself. 
and thinking that you can just hear that this morning and do nothing about it. We could meditate that word on that word. Um, so I'll leave you with some questions this morning for our for our meditation here. You ready? What has God shown you recently that he has convicted you of? Has he shown you a direction of service that he is calling to calling you to? How has your mind changed by what you've heard or read in scripture? How has your mind directly changed by what you've heard? And now that your ears have heard, what will your feet and hands, what will your mind do? So a little bit more practical application. Remember this sermon when you're getting ready and looking in the mirror in the morning. Okay. Just, just humor your old buddy, Mark Taylor, for a moment tomorrow morning. When you look in the mirror and you get ready to do what you're going to do for the day. Remember, I need to do what the Lord has commanded me to do. I need to be someone that reflects Christ in me. This is, of course, all built on the assumption that you are a Christian. If you're not a Christian, please pray. Please pray to the Lord that he will show you what it is to be a Christian. Please come and see me. Please come and see Danny. Please talk to Jesse, whoever you would like to uh, speak to. But talk to the Lord and talk to your uh, church people. Um, and let's help help you. Don't forget who you belong to. So don't look in the mirror tomorrow and think that you're your own person and you haven't been purchased and you haven't been paid for and you don't belong to somebody else. And then the promise that you and I have is right from verse 25. Um, if we do what the Lord says, this person will be blessed in what he does. Verse 25 says, so it comes with a promise to us. That we will be blessed in what we do. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. God, we pray that you would make us doers of your word. Lord, help us to hear it rightly. And help us to walk differently as we've heard it. Father, I pray for this time that we observe the Lord's Supper. Lord, that you would help us to examine ourselves in light of what we've heard, in light of what we've read. Father, and, and lead us to a mind that's changed, a mind that's renewed, and a closer walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.